Nation. All right, welcome back into the Buffs Nation podcast. Another day, another dollar. Well, maybe for Travis Hunter and Chicago Sanders, but not a lot of uh, not a lot of us watching CU football. Uh, especially if you're betting on the games. Let's put it that way. Buffs lose 56-14 on the road at Washington State. We've got a full house, though. Jared to my right, Ryan to my left. How we doing, guys? You know, I was, I've was i actually been winning quite a bit of money on the Buffs this year. You've been faking them? them to cover. No, I mean, they've been covering almost every game till this one. This one Very this true. one bit me here. I, I did not get the cover. I don't know if you guys noticed, but they did not cover uh, this week. No, 56-14 loss on the road. And, you know, this was disappointing for a lot of reasons. Uh, the main, I would say, going into last week, we all thought this was one of the games the Buffs actually had a chance to go in, compete, and win. And it was the opposite, actually. One of the games that they weren't in uh, in the second half at all. This game, Oregon. Or the yeah, two I mean, even even early in early in this game, it was, it was pretty apparent early on that this was, game was going to get out of hand. And the stats show it. So we'll talk about that game. We'll break down some Colorado football news. And, of course, uh, look forward to next week, Colorado at Utah, and the quick-lived rivalry in the Pac-12. You think this this quote-unquote rivalry, the rumble in the Rockies, is going to continue in the Big 12? No, I don't think so, because you got BYU in the Big 12, which that makes a very natural rivalry then with Utah, you know, <laughs> being that they're both in Utah. So, once again, Colorado will find itself without a true rival in the new Big mm-hmm. 12. Let's pick a fight with Kansas or Kansas State. That, that's yeah, that's old about. school stuff right there. But, right? but do we need to synthesize the rivalry? You know what the rival? No. You know what these new <laughs> synthesized rivalries remind me of? It's the restaurants that have the burger of the day or the plate of the day, and eventually they run out of ideas, so they just throw something up there. That's what this is. Colorado didn't have a rival. Utah didn't have a rival. Let's go. They're like, well, they're both new in the Pac-12 back at the time. They're kind of close to each other. Let's just throw them at the end of the year. Say it's a new rivalry. Rumble in the Rockies. So I uh, think the Buffs need to take a page out of the SEC playbook and uh, screw it being a, a conference opponent. Let's just make Nebraska last week of the year, and you can do an extra conference game early in the season instead of a non-conference I game. I don't hate it. You find a way to mix that in at the end of the year. I'd love to bring back the Nebraska game. That'd be awesome. But uh, All right, let's recap last week. Let's just go over this. Uh, score was 56-14, and Shador Sanders only had 86 passing yards. He was obviously hurt for uh, the majority of this thing. Came out in the first half, went back out for good in the second half. So, um, I mean, general thoughts, general takeaways. I mean, look, we're kind of to this point where we, to the point where we were last year where we're saying the same thing every week. What do you say, week. right? Yeah, we're yeah. kind of in this point. I, of, I, I, what I will say in this one, this game for the first time this year, I felt like I watched a team that had given up. Yeah. I felt like I was watching a team that did not want to be playing in this uh, this season anymore. They wanted to move on, uh, whether that's moving on towards hopefully a brighter season in 2024 or for those that are moving on from the program, moving on to, to bigger and better things for themselves. It just did not seem like it was a team that was there uh, and, and, and ready to play and ready to win um specifically uh really really kind of shocked a little bit at what we saw from the backup quarterbacks and i and i you, saw you, 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 uh, what do you think about ryan Staub in general and in this game i saw and i, I wish that i would have uh, documented where who i saw post this on twitter but the, the 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 tweet said something along the lines of like this looks like a guy and 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 I, i'm slipping on the other guy's name that even well, ryan Staub, gavin uh, cold gavin cold Two guys, it looks like they've never taken one snap with the ones but, but all year long. Can, can, we <laughs> all year long. On, can we hold on for a second? Let's hold on. We're talking about an offensive line that makes Shador Sanders, who is a unanimous first-round pick despite the fact he's not coming out next year, 
look this bad. So we think Ryan Staub and no, Gavin Cole are going to come in. I just mean more like it looked like guys that literally didn't even know what the plays were. It yeah. looks like they weren't comfortable with what was going on on the field. And when you're in the second to last game of the year, I don't care if you've not actually played a meaningful snap all year. As a backup quarterback, you should be ready every single snap to go in there and play. And it looked like guys that were not ready. Look, I'm not going to. And I put that on the coaching staff more than I put that on stop. I'm not going to echo that. I don't agree with that, really. I think that when Shador Sanders, again, most NFL scouts, if he was coming out next year, say, yep, first round talent. And he's looked how he has looked. But he he got sacked four of the first 10 snaps of the game. No, I don't expect Staub or Cole to do anything. And you know what? This this is kind of going to get me to my next point, right? We're not going to spend a whole lot of time breaking down this last week's game. I want to talk about my feelings in general, about this program, some of these players, and the 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 direction and point of view that I interpret every week from what I see, okay? Now, this is what I... Uh, I don't want to say like I'm speculating here because I think a lot of us see it, and it's not that tough. Now, you can be in the locker room and see certain things, but... Here's my, my takeaway. I'm kind of upset with what I'm seeing with Shador, okay, on one level. I think Shador is playing scared. And I think we saw a lot of this last year with Brendan Lewis. He is so terrified not to make a mistake, not to throw an interception. He's holding the football, holding the football, holding the football. Now, he's done this before in his career, right? Last year, Jackson, I said the first time I watched his tape, went back and watched multiple games, my first takeaway on this show, I said it, and I was criticized from our, our listeners, but I said, he holds on to the ball too long. This guy holds on to the ball way too long. You can't do that at the next level, and he's doing it at the next level. I hear uh, NFL quarterbacks, NFL scouts, coaches say, get rid of it. If no one's there, get out of the pocket, throw you it gotta away. you got to have a clock in your head, an internal clock, two, three seconds, and you should be moving out. But it's not just Shador. It's other things, too. I believe what's going on right now is it's a trickle effect, and it's honestly not good for anyone. I think Shador is afraid to make a mistake. I think coaches in the building are afraid to criticize Shador. I think the offensive play caller, be it Sean Lewis or, or Pat Shermer, is afraid to f- call run plays, call a freaking run play, because you got this star quarterback, you know, coach's son, I want to say daddy's up there. Arguably the most popular college football player in the nation. And this is not going to come across well, because I know how CU fans are, but I don't care, because this is how I feel. It's how a lot of fans feel, and you can be protective. You can say whatever you want to say. I'm sick of it, and I feel like daddy is protecting his kids because they're going to be in the NFL. And you know what? I'm all about Coach Prime. I love Coach Prime, but... This happens, okay? I, I was I listen to some local radio sometimes. I kind of like 104.3. I think they do a pretty good job. They talk some buffs sometimes. And uh, Zach Bai is one of the hosts on there. And he was talking about how he was coaching his son a couple weeks ago, right? Um, and how it changes when you have kids. It changes your perspective when you have kids. And and uh, Zach, the host of 104.3, you know, his kid's only like five or six, something like that, maybe seven. But he's like, when he's out there, I feel it. You feel it deep down. You you have this love and this, uh, you want everything for your kid. You really want it to go well. And when Shador's getting beat up and all this stuff and the press, and uh, I just think what's going on right now, the reason Sean Lewis was benched, we're all like, why was Sean Lewis benched, right? Uh, Shador Sanders was the number eight passing quarterback in the nation when Sean Lewis was benched. All this happens behind the scenes. No one knows why. So I think it's, and this is again speculation, but I think it's a series of, Shadour's afraid to make a mistake. Coaching staff afraid to make a, to criticize. Everyone's walking on eggshells. And uh, at, at the end of it, you know, I, I know I was kind of pissed this weekend when I said this, when I was talking to a few people. I feel like deep down, 
Coach Prime would never say this, and I feel like maybe it's irresponsible to even ask the question, but honestly, if you put a lie detector and hook Coach Prime up to it and said, what's more important to you? Shadour's draft stock or Colorado football winning? I mean, let's face it. Did did Coach Prime know Colorado football existed three years ago? Now, I'm being hyperbolic, but the point is, I think it's a lot more about his kid than it is about the team. The only point. reason I will push back a little on the last thing you said, and I'll touch on some of the other stuff you just talked but that last point there is Deion Sanders primetime only wants to win. He is a winner. He has always been a winner. Everywhere he has been, he has always been the best. But it's he all, will but always he, want to be the best. But does he want to win because of him? Yes, because of himself. He for himself wants to win. Let's be honest. He doesn't really care about Colorado. I'm right. just saying it. Again, I know a lot of you out there are going to be so offended by that statement, but whatever school he landed at, he would want to win for himself, for his own pride. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. You're a head coach and you want to be successful. That's good for your program. That is good for your program. Now, some of the other things that you just touched on there, uh, it does. It does terrify me. I see the same things. We've been seeing this trending. It was one thing early in the season, this offense is humming, Nobody's saying you should take the ball out of Shador's hands. It was it has become so obvious. I have been beating the drum for four or five weeks now. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. How do you take pressure off an offensive line? You run the ball. You do creative things to get the ball out of Shador Sanders' hands, not have it be in there more, and we haven't seen it. We've seen play callers change. We've seen all that. My fear is, and I think kind of what you're alluding to here is, do we have a coaching staff Full of yes men. I think so. 100%. And maybe Sean Lewis was a guy that wasn't being a yes man, and he was told to step aside for somebody who would be. And this is, again, all speculation. I am hoping that is not the case. I am hoping that this is Deion Sanders as a young, inexperienced coach. He is. This is only, what, his third year of college football coaching? Right. Prior to that, he was coaching in high school, guys. You know, I mean, this is a big-time football for the first time he's coaching on this level, and he got smacked in the mouth a little bit. I think it's a coach that everywhere he has coached in the past, he has had the most talented roster. I think what he has learned in Power 5, in big-time football, just having talent doesn't get you wins. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I was pissed after the game. I, I still kind of have it, and it just, I don't know. I mean, I'm such a CU fan that all I want is for this team to do well, and I know Coach Prime coming in is a positive, and I've said this before. I've said this at nauseum. I, I've repeated myself enough. I'm not one of those fans that's counting down the minutes until Coach Prime leaves. Is he going to leave? Is he going to go to a and Is he going to go here? Is he going to go there? Who cares? What What's going to happen to this program is when Deion Sanders eventually leaves Colorado, be it one year or 25 years, he's going to leave the program in a better spot than he found it. So everyone worried and panicking and all this stuff, I don't look at it that way. So I don't really, you know, that's my focus here is the University of Colorado and the football that they play. Is this the best thing for the football team, right? That's what they, and we saw a tweet. We saw a tweet from Cavosier Smoke saying they're playing selfish football. Cardinals being selfish. Uh, to quote the tweet here, and this kind of gets us into our CU football news. Uh, this was Cavosier Smoke tweet after the Buffs lost it to Washington State. Quote, simple fact, bruh. We could have... This is me doing my uh, like kid talk, bruh. Simple fact, bruh. We I, think could, it's, I think it's brah. Brah. We could have went undefeated this year. Too much selfish ball going on. Can't win like that. 
got to play and win as a team, but if you got to go the other route, you get results like this. So I see that, and I, I saw that come out this weekend. Who is he Who is he addressing with this? Is, is he addressing the, the team, his teammates, saying every one of us has been too selfish, we need to self-reflect? Is he addressing the coaches? Well, it depends who you ask, because if you ask Dion. You know, coach wants to defuse everything, right? Oh, no big deal. As a matter of fact, what coach has said is, we brought it up today in the meeting. We asked other players, what do you think he meant with that tweet, right? But you go to Cavossier's Twitter, and he's gotten rid of all CU stuff. Yeah. It says graduate uh, of Kentucky. I, I actually very much... <laughs> he's gotten rid of all that stuff. I very here. much feel like this is a sour grapes situation and a guy that has not seen the ball, not seen the field well, much this year. And I know I'm focused on Shadur, but I think it's a little... I, speculation again, like everyone is with this tweet... But uh, I think it's some him not getting the ball, and I think it's some Shador. I think it's some, why are we throwing it all the time, and why are we giving it to Shador who's just going to hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, run. Hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, the sack. Like, it's, it's, and, and by the way, the, the reason Shador is holding it is because he doesn't want to throw it away and get the uh, bad stats. He doesn't want five incompletions for throwing away balls, right? He'd rather take the sack, that way we can point fingers at the O-line. Again, this is me looking at different stuff this year and being upset, but I'm so uh, I, I'm not happy with the way this season's gone, and I think a lot of it is because daddy's on the sidelines. you got your kids who are going to be in the, in the NFL. I think it's bad for the team. So I don't like it at all. I'm not happy one bit with it, and everyone's all happy with the Dion train and the, the, the press, the publicity. Yeah, college game day here. I don't care at all. I would rather have someone who cares about the team rather than their kid doing better. And it's not – there have been – there have been student-athletes who've said this. There have been a lot of people who've come forward and, and echoed these kind of feelings. I don't think Cavosier saying this is necessarily a, you know, dad's on the sideline thing, but I don't like what I'm seeing one bit. I think time will tell. Uh, you know, time will tell how we see this coaching staff next year. The one thing I can definitively say is over the course of the last two-thirds of this season, pretty much all season, this coaching staff has been getting outcoached every single yeah, game. Yeah, this whole so coaching staff. Like, like regardless, you, is this is this a, a selfish prime times looking out too much for his kid and his stats and, and the perception and all that? Maybe you're onto something there. I'm not going to go fully there. I'm not going to dive fully into that narrative. Well, look, I, Jared, I, of course everyone out there listening would go, well, he wants his son to do well, but he also wants the bus to do well. That's the simple-minded... What? That's the simpleton's answer. Like, you, really, big shocker there. No, He'd rather here's... have his cake and eat it, too. Like, like I, my I guess point my, is... My take more on it is I think this is a coach that felt like he could sort of walk through this a little bit. I think he's, he felt like if I just bring the talent yeah, in, yeah. I bring the coaches in, they'll take care of all of it, that's and I just got to be the face, right? He's always I done. just got to be the CEO of this. That Exactly, like you said, that's how he has coached in the past. Now, where we will, when I say time will tell, if we come in first two, three weeks of next year and we're seeing the same thing, that nothing has been learned from this coaching staff, that they're not handling anything different, I'm going to say, you know what, Tyler? You were right. You were right that he cares only about himself and only about his kid. I believe we are going to see some self-reflection from Deion Sanders for the first time in his life. <laughs> going back to being a child, he is not the best. He was Bad. He was a bad coach this year. His team was bad. Not a good team. Yeah? Did they improve from last year? Sure. They barely beat the expectations put in front of them by Vegas, by all these people. And we laughed at that at the beginning of the season. Three and a half wins. We laughed at that. Where does this team find themselves? Four and eight or four and seven with a very tough matchup coming up against another ranked opponent in Utah. Mm -hmm. 
I, I think the writing's on the wall there. So this is the first time he's been bad. Does he take a step back? Does he reflect? Does he change how he approaches the game of football, how he approaches being a coach? If so, that will tr- put this team back on a trajectory to get to championship caliber play. No, I, I get it. I, I, last week, I saw a matchup that... I think that the Buffs could have run a lot more effectively than they did, and they never stuck to it. And I know that this comes across in a bad way, but I've been a little frustrated, and it's coming out you know, <laughs> in this uh, fashion. But that's kind of what I thought, and I wanted to put it out there. Think of it what you will. All right, some quick uh, CU football news besides that. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned it. Uh, Taylor Chandler flipped from uh, CU to, to Missouri. Offensive lineman. A uh, big offensive lineman recruit that was going to yep. be huge for this team next year, and he flipped from CU to Missouri. Now, he gave two reasons. He said Missouri was his dream school. It's like, wait a minute. Did Missouri just become your dream school? Because you signed with the Buffs, so you, or you committed to the Buffs, so you flipped from them. And then his other reason was the offensive line had really improved this year at Missouri. So it's like, okay, let's read through the, through the lines here. The two reasons he gave... Hey, I'm, Lee. I'm flipping from Colorado to Missouri. Look, I love CU. I love the coaching staff, but Missouri's always been a dream school of mine. And if you look at it, the offensive line really improved this year at Missouri. Which of those means something to you? To me, it's like, okay, the whole thing about Missouri dream school, that's a bunch of nonsense. Because if Missouri was his dream well, school, he would have signed there in the first place. Let's, let's call a spade a spade. Um, who had the uh, projected... Uh, better trajectory at the beginning of the season. So you were Mizzou. The Buffs. There you go. And then now Missouri does. That's all the uh, answer you need to that question. But but it will be telling, just to touch, I think where you're going with this, Tyler, is offensive linemen. Do they look at CU as this opportunity because I have a great shot to go in and start early on this team? Or is this a situation where they look at their career path and what is, if I think I am a a potential NFL caliber player, when I'm coming out of high school, do I want to go to a team where my head coach is literally just saying, oh, the offensive line isn't good, let's replace them, right? That's not going to be good for my NFL career if I'm a freshman or a sophomore on that team starting and I get kicked to the curb because of it. So the inability to coach up these these offensive linemen, are these guys going to look at that and go, well, this isn't going to develop me into the player that I think I can become? An offensive line, much more than wide receiver or cornerback or a lot of the other positions that the bus recruited really well last year, those are skill positions. You either have it or you don't. Right. There's not a whole lot of development right. that happens other than physical development through college. As a lineman, O-line, D-line, there is so much nuance and technique and everything that goes into why a guy like Aaron Donald, who was considered an undersized defensive lineman coming to the NFL, became the best defensive lineman ever, right? Because of his nuance, because of his technique, his work ethic. Easy Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, exactly, right? Well. I said easy for you, Jared. Lawrence Taylor would probably have something to say. Yeah, about he's, that, a, he's a he's a he's a linebacker, linebacker right? Well, do you say defensive okay. player or defensive line? Defensive line. line. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's say interior. Okay, best interior defensive <laughs> line because there's a few guys back in the '80s, '70s. Yeah. Anyway, I get what you're, but, you're saying. But I, I there's, see what you're saying. there's just so much more technique that. Those guys need to be developed from the age of 18 to the age of 22 when they're going into the NFL. They need to be developed. I give you're saying f- from the lineman point of view, and it's going to be tough for the C- for the Buffs to get that many linemen in one year because that is a, a position that isn't constantly picking and up and moving. It, it is the hardest uh, position in college football to not only to recruit but also to develop. Okay, but 
if if Coach Prime would have put an emphasis on this last year, I don't think we're having the same conversation. Look what happened last year. It was all receivers, D-backs, a lot of the skill positions, right? And what did Coach say? Coach went on ESPN. He went on uh, Barstool, right? He went on part of my take. He goes, no, no, no. Most, most coaches build from the inside out. We build from the outside in. Well, this is what happens when you build from the outside in. And he tried to walk that back a few times, but there are quotes out there of Coach Prime saying, we built from the outside in. This is the issue with that. So he missed an opportunity. In my opinion, Coach Prime last year missed like the CU gold rush to where you can get those guys. Now this year, some of that reality set in. These guys have seen, these 18-year-olds have seen what Coach Prime and CU mean. And even though it's kind of fun for a while, a lot of them want to win. So I think this has taken a hit, and CU losing has really hurt the ability to recruit and keep some of these guys. Let's put two more wins on the board for the bus. Say they get that Stanford win. Say they get the Arizona win. They're at sitting at six now, six wins, six and five, even end up six and six. They go to a bowl. Is that narrative different with their Yeah, groups? of course. And that's why I usually uh, discount narrative is it's not real. That's why, like, narrative is something that gets painted by ESPN. You know, if a team has two bad defensive performances and ESPN paints this picture and they happen to have one more, well, now the whole world thinks that's a bad defensive team when in reality that may not, may not actually be the case, right? So the narrative would have been different and that would have changed everything in my mind. So what I'm talking about now is this is what drives these kids' mind, their, their point of view, their decision-making is the narrative, and I think that would change. And going back to last week and our discussions we had going to that game, I, I really think that's why, in my mind, that was such a big game to get a win. And, and, and this game, too, against Utah, get getting that win to, to stop this slide, I think that narrative, that perception changes so much. If they somehow find a way on the road against a ranked Utah team to win this game, I think the national narrative is completely flipped on its head and everyone's talking about how great Prime is going into recruiting season. That could be so huge for you. And getting some of these kids that maybe they're grad transfers, maybe they're guys that can come in and be contributors to want to come here, to believe in the direction of this team. All right, let's talk about this uh, game coming up this weekend. Colorado at Utah. It's a 1 o'clock kick on Saturday on the Pac-12 Network. Back relegated to the Pac-12 Network after weeks on ESPN Once and for all. Uh, 1 o'clock on Saturday, Pac-12 Network at Utah. Now, just to go over Utah, who they are, uh, for those who have not been paying attention this year, the Utes began the year as a playoff uh, favorite. As a matter of fact, they were the favorite in the Pac-12 to make the playoffs. But that was all assuming their quarterback, Cam Rising, and their star tight end, Brant Keithy, would be back this year. Well, guess what? None of them came back. So their hope was kind of lost for the playoffs, right, early on. And it's funny, you know, the difference of where Colorado is and where Utah is because Utah's having a down year, right? Utah's having a down season for whatever their record is and Colorado having a down year for their record. Now, I know obviously these two programs in different situations, but just something to look at there considering about five years ago, very similar spot for both these teams. Uh, Bryson Barnes, the quarterback for Utah, has actually stepped up and played very well. We'll talk about him when we break down Utah's offense. Let's start off with Colorado's offense against Utah's defense. And uh, boy, it's going to be tough here. Even with Shador this week, which I'm not sure he's going to be back. Yeah, I was just trying to look that up, see if there's any updates. The last I am seeing here is from a day or two ago, just saying that Deion Sanders admits Shador is, quote, not feeling well right now. Yeah, no, here's the thing with Shador. He wants to play, but it's probably best for him and everyone else he shuts it down. You know, he's got a bright future. This team, hopefully, has a bright future. 
I think the best thing for everyone is to shut it down this week if you're Shador. I think that's just probably the smart move. Despite what's going on right now, I think that's the way you should lean. But uh, I'm not sure it would matter. And I don't want to be anti-Buffs offense here, but, man, Utah's got a very good defense. Overall in the country, Utah is 24th in yards per game allowed. They are 9th in rushing yards per game allowed, 83rd in passing yards per game allowed. And uh, one more kind of extra stat that kind of shows who this team is, 16th in sacks per game. Okay, so they're giving up passing yards, but they're getting after the quarterback. Now, Shador playing. Let's just get all of our thoughts on what happens if Shador, general outlook if Shador does play, general outlook if Shador doesn't play. Do we have hope if Shador doesn't play, or is it a similar handicap to you guys? Uh, it's not the same handicap, but it, <laughs> I don't, hope is probably not the right word. I, I, I think there will be some competitive fire uh, to them with, with Shadur. I think they'll put some points on the board. Uh, I don't know that they're keeping up with, with Utah or going to overtake them either way. I think they get their crap kicked out of them if Shador doesn't play. I, I think this is going to be ugly. I don't know that the offense is doing much at all. Based on what I saw from the backup quarterbacks last week, it is such a drop-off. It is such a different team. I just don't know that they're going to do anything without Shador in there. Yeah. Ryan, what do you think? Uh, I don't think it really matters either way, to be honest with you. Um yeah, will it be more competitive? Shador plays, sure. Um, what are they playing for? I mean, pride at that uh, point. Yeah, sure. so Utah just for everyone they're sitting seven and four. They're going to zero go chance a at a Pac-12 championship. Pretty decent bowl. So you they're, they're probably pretty locked in at whatever bowl they're ending up in, whether they end up with eight wins or seven wins. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to see Shador play. I'd like to see him finish out strong. Uh, I think that's what type of person an athlete Shador is. I know that's what type of. Uh, personality coach prime is finish what you started um so i hope to see him um otherwise you know let's see what stobbs got in a full game with a full week of preparation see yeah. in, in in a sense there is a certain part of me that would like to see what this offense Exa- yeah, looks exactly. like without shador right but but also too i want to go back to the narrative and what we were talking about at the beginning of the show and what you were bringing up tyler with with dion being too focused on his son's success what would it tell you if if they if he makes the choice to keep Shador out of this game, maybe he's questionable, and Prime says nope, he's not going. We're gonna make sure he's ready to go for next year. Would that feed into that that he's just focused no. on his kid, or would that tell you no? I am focused on the best thing for this no, look, team. I, I want to be I want to be fair with these takes. I'm not trying to be like first take up here. I'm not trying to be Stephen A. Smith. I'm deep, I'm being honest. So I, I think at this point in the process, it's actually the smart thing to do to sit him down. Right? I'm not gonna rail on him and say, see, I told you, and like point at that and say. That's a reason for him being selfish. I think any coach, whether it's your son or not, would say, look, this is an NFL talent. We're not playing for anything. He's already banged up. It's not getting any better. This team's 16th in the country in sacks. So my mind's kind of made up with that. Like, I don't want to you know, be negative, but I don't think I don't think that is a negative. I don't think if he sits him, that like reinforces anything. Yeah, honestly, I, I actually would argue if anything, uh, him playing this week would almost be more of like a oh no, primetime's putting his kid but back in. But let's not there to do, do that because no. then we're like filling in the answer without even knowing the question. Sure. So right. you know, I don't. Well, and, and I think the the question that you prompted to us of uh, you know, does it change the handicap or whatever? It's so hard to make a decision on uh, where this team is going when there's when it's not just an injury surrounding the quarterback. That's not what we have. Right. We've got a 
a, a, a offensive room that's in shambles right now. Who's the coach? Who's calling the shots? Uh, we don't know who our quarterback is. So, you know, you're, you're I, I think that uh, – and I think Coach Prime already has noticed this and maybe has already spoke on it a little bit, but I think even Coach Prime has uh, a lot more on his plate at the end of the year than even he foresaw. I think he dipped his toe in this, uh, you know, power five – Colorado football coach I think he dipped his toe into that lake and now he stepped back like holy crap there's a lot of work I gotta do right and I'm like, not sure he's... like how many I mean honestly how many coaches on this current staff do we even think is going to be there next year but that's why I think that Jared was right he, he surrounded know? himself with yes men he surrounded himself with his friends I mean right. he said he his buddies who he's giving a chance who's well, known his whole life and I said all that to say this I think that everybody's kind of packed it in for this year I think everybody's kind of it done it kind of seems like that what, what are we what are, I mean other than a bowl a shot at a bowl what did we even get by winning at Washington State? Right. No. What yeah. do we get by winning at Utah this week, being four and eight? Yeah. I mean, uh, four and seven. Uh, I, I think. I think to the point, and I hadn't even thought about it until we were discussing this here. I am actually almost in a weird way hoping that Stewart doesn't play. I would love to know what this offense looks like, what the play calling looks like in a full game where this team has prepared for Ryan Staub to go out there and be the quarterback. Does that change the way they call plays? Does that change the approach in their, you know, no huddle or, you know, slowing it down, speeding it up, running the ball more? Do they try to see what they have in Ryan's stop? So I think it's, again, when you talk about what are they playing for, nothing. They're playing to see what they have in some of these guys. I'd love to see some of these younger guys get some action. Uh, there's quite a few of these freshmen that are not up against their eligibility restrictions. Get those guys on the field. Let's see what they can do against a really good Utah team and see are these guys that, hey, let's maybe lean into them a little next year. Let's see if they can take that leap for us next year, be starters for us next year, and maybe it's some internal recruiting in that too. Some of these guys that maybe are a little ruffled right now, mm. maybe thinking about hitting the transfer portal, that maybe it's a way to say, hey, you got a shot here. You could you could do some things here. All right, let's get on to Colorado's defense against Utah's offense, and this is where both teams actually have struggled this year. We know about Colorado's defensive struggles. We don't have to go into depth on that. What do you mean? I know. Right. But Utah's offense has not been great. They're 85th in yards per game, 106th in passing yards per game, 39th in rush yards a game, pretty good there. And then another stat here, 18th in third down conversions per game. So even though Utah has all these bad stats, there's something to hang their hat on. They're efficient, they get third and shorts, and they convert. So even though the stats... Third and shorts rather than third and pants? Mm-hmm. You, you can tell what, it's you stumbled on. God, I know. I couldn't yeah. even get it out. It just yeah. totally ruined yeah. it. Jared's here for the weekend. <laughs> if it was a clean delivery, you might have got the chuckle. This, why, this is why I don't do stand-up comedy. Put on your special here. <laughs> uh, so Utah's offense, not good, but better. You know what's funny is we always – but when we break these games down and we see other teams that are 80th in something or 90th, we go – Buffs have a chance here. Right. The doors open here. But then you look at Colorado's stats, and we're 120th in everything. <laughs> so it's like if we were doing the other podcast, we'd be going, well, doors open here for the Buffs. So, so even though you know we make fun of the rivalry, and, and you know before CU and Utah got in the Pac-12, obviously I wasn't watching any Utah football. But 
uh, in those in that short span of getting to know Utah as an opponent, and this is what always makes them a tough opponent, is regardless of how bad they are, they always play defense and they can always run the football. What is that an indication of? A well-coached team, right? You, Utah, they and win. a direction, a direction of mm-hmm. where that identity, team is going. identity. You know what? Ham has been there identity for what, seventeen years. Yeah, and even I, Coach Prime said we don't have an identity. You brought that up earlier, Ryan. This year, sure like, like a month ago, that this team doesn't have an identity, and I think that's one of the most under-talked about things, not just in college football but in sports. You can't win if you don't have identity. Very important here. And think about Utah. They went from Urban Meyer to Kyle Whittingham. That's right. I always forget about that. Haven't looked back. What a track record. Right? Wow. Coaches out. I'm telling no, you. And when you look at Utah, this is a bunch of guys on a boat all rowing in exactly the same direction on the same timing, right? CU is a bunch of guys on a boat all trying to row their own way, and this boat is just spinning in circles, Your right? metaphors have been very I, good lately, I know. Jared. Nailed that yes. one. That one was good. <laughs> but I, I, one of the things I, I want to bring up in terms of this Utah team, let's like take a, you know, go back in time two years ago. Before Utah all of a sudden was this, you know, elite team discussed in in college football, you know, last year, last two years winning the Pac-12. Prior to that, what was Utah? They are what this team is now, right? They're always a team that, yeah, they always kind of lacked that quarterback. They never had that elite talent, but they were so solid in the trenches, on defense. They could run the ball. They never made mistakes. They never shot themselves in the foot. That's the same team this is. This is the same team. The only thing they're lacking is Cam Rising, their, their quarterback. That's the difference in my mind. And now, does he bring three or four wins to this team? Maybe, maybe not. But but this is still a very, very good team, regardless of what the, the stats say. No, and you brought up Cam Rising, I mean, obviously with their quarterback, it'd be a different year, but Bryson Barnes, the backup who's played this season, he's looked better and better. He's gotten better through the year. Again, that's what coaching does. Last three weeks, Bryson Barnes, their quarterback, has eight touchdowns, four interceptions. After starting the year, five touchdowns, five interceptions. So really turning things around. And look, I'm not saying Utah is going to suddenly look like USC or North Carolina, but they're doing enough to win games and look good, good enough to where I'm concerned that this Buffs defense will have their hands full. Again, remember, this offense, despite all the, the stuff that's you know said bad about Utah, they are 45th in efficiency. Not bad in efficiency, while the Buffs are 120th. You know, everywhere we look, and here's my thing. We'll, we'll, we'll finish this week's preview and get to my keys of the game after this. Maybe this is my current skepticism. Maybe this is my current place with the buff season and I'm being a little sour. But honestly, you guys, I have a hard time really finding a huge difference between last year and this year, aside from a couple three-point wins, right? The, if the buffs, uh, if the, I, I'm going to definitely disagree uh, with you. You, you can push back on that, but let me finish for a sec. If the buffs don't convert that third and six against TC, or fourth and six against TCU, they lose, okay? If the buffs don't win in double overtime against Colorado State, which you should blow them out, they lose. The only game Colorado comfortably won this year was Nebraska. They had to fight for everything on the road against Arizona State. They had to fight for everything at home against CSU, the Little Brothers. I mean, even on the road at, at TCU. So here's my thing. If those coin flip games, which by in, in coin flips, the Buffs are 3-1 uh, and one this year, I'd say. So in those coin flips, if it goes the other way, I just wonder if... Because I'm, I'm a stats guy. You guys know I'm a better. I'm a stats guy. I look at the advanced analytics. The Buffs actually this year in rushing are worse than they were last year. In passing, they are one of the best in the country, obviously, right? Top 10. But I just, I have a hard time going, 
oh, yeah, this year, clearly better. I mean, we got Shador, but outside of that, like, what can you look at and say we're tangibly better here, 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 here? The margin of loss. That's what you can look at. You look at every single game outside of two. Oregon, who, in my mind, is a top four team in the country and will be on their way to the playoff if and when they beat Washington in the conference championship. Obviously, a couple weeks to get there, but I absolutely believe that Oregon has a chance to win a national championship. They beat the crap out of CU. Hey, that happens, you know? This Washington State one, that stings a little more because it felt like the team gave up. But aside from that, every other game this year, they were competitive. They were in it for the most part up until the end. Let's just real quickly run through last year. Lost. 38-13 38-13 TCU, 41-10 to Air Force. I'm just going to say, we just assume these are all losses. I'll tell you when we get to the win, okay? Uh, 49-7 Minnesota, 45-17 UCLA, 43-20. Oh, one win, 20-13 over Cal in overtime. 42-9 against Oregon State, 34 or 30. Lost 34-42. I mean, every single game, they're yeah. just getting the crap beat out. They gave up 40-plus points. Again, it's maybe a- I was a bit hyperbolic. Maybe I was jumping a little bit. My, Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, I was just going to say, I think your point was, analytically, the numbers-wise, well, what is really and, different, which is and true. And the feeling. Now, I know we have four wins, but it's the feeling around this program. I don't have that much hope right now. And I'm, this is probably just a fan of a team who hasn't been good in two decades, so my, my self-esteem as a fan is low. But you got but, a lot of here we go again. But well, yes. But even last year, let, let, let's even and again. I, people are going to think I'm just being like Stephen A. I'm not. But last year, when we knew new coach is coming, right? There's almost more optimism because you're going, who's it going to be? What's happening? The future is bright. Now we know what Coach Prime is is going to be the recruiting. It's almost like well, I'm like reluctant. I'm like well. Let's hope he can get a good class in here after this not mess. So that's kind of where I am. This is me. I'm, I'm speaking about me right now. Maybe every other Buffs fan's like, dude, you're an idiot. You're wrong. We're going in the right direction, which is probably the sentiment right now for a lot of people, but I don't feel it. I you don't know what? feel I th- that. I think you're podcasting for clicks right now. You're not podcasting <laughs> for wins, Tyler. Oh, maybe I am. I'm Dan. <laughs> who are you? Who are you? Dan Lanning now? All, <laughs> all I'm hearing out of Tyler's mouth. <laughs> all I'm hearing out of Tyler's mouth right now is, "Oh no, we suck again." No, I see the Dan. <laughs> I see next Monday in the in the production meeting. They want viewers. We want or they they want the clicks. We want the viewers. <laughs> you know, it's that's hilarious. But look, I'm not trying. I'm just maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just being no, so- Tyler. I think you are saying what a lot of fans I mean, we're right one now. In seven the last two months, you guys. I think what a lot of fans and and I could put myself in this category too. I think these are those deep, dark internal thoughts that we are burying inside of us. Hoping that they don't come out. Hoping that we see something turn early next year. Because if this team looks the same next year, it's going to be a whole different scenario. And what we're talking about in the trajectory of this team. If this coaching staff doesn't go to work on the X's and O's. Yes, you need to spend the next six months putting together the best program you can. Getting the best recruits you can in here. After that... You got to turn that page, and you absolutely have to do a better job preparing this team to play week in and week out on Saturdays. All right, should we get to our keys to the game? Every week goes score through our more than the other keys. teams. <laughs> Real quick before you get uh, get to those uh, keys, what would you guys think of Colorado bringing in an assistant head coach? I would love it. 
How do you mm. think that the dynamic would work if that were to happen? I would love it if it was a decision made by Deion Sanders. If okay. it was forced upon him, that's not going to work. Sure. If if he decides to bring on an assistant coach. I mean, head who coach, else is going to make that decision but him? Yeah, this is true. Right? This is true. But if he brings that in, that tells me that is the self-reflecting I'm looking for. I'm not saying this is a move he needs to make, but that's the self-reflecting I'm looking for. I, I want to see him go and go, you know what? There are things I'm not good at as a head coach, and I need to bring somebody in to help me be better at those things. Somebody that maybe has a lot of head coaching experience, somebody that's been around a lot, that can maybe help with some some of these strategic decisions that are being sure. made i uh, to me that I, I right now i will be so upset if there are not changes on this coaching staff. Well, I don't if think there are not things done, right? I, I I think that's obvious, right? There you, should you, be changes. Yes. Yeah. So I think we. Uh, that's what I want to see. I want to see, let's make some changes that makes this coaching staff better. And I want to clarify one last time, just <laughs> I, I, I'm not, look, I, I don't want to be so anti-buffs or any of that stuff, but I just, I just, I look at this year compared to last year, and I wonder intrinsically, if you get rid of all the fluff, sure. if you get rid of all the articles and the hype and the narrative, how real if this team played last year's team, you know, I, I'm sure they beat them, but by how much? That's what I sure. wonder. So, okay, let's move on. My three keys to the game. Now, these are going to be out there because Utah on the road, going to be a lot, but let's start off with, with turnovers. My first key to the game, have to win the turnover battle. Okay, it's going to be... Oh, very hard to win this game if you don't force turnovers, get turnovers, and it's not just on defense that'd be great forcing a few, but you can't turn it over on offense. Yeah. You cannot turn. So protect the ball, force some turnovers on defense. That's very big. And I think that's what you saw last week is that's what happens when CU uh, is caused uh, has a turnover and they actually lose it. You know, this entire season, it's been, sh- it's been Shador, three interceptions. We don't really fumble, and we force a lot. Now you see what happens. I even texted, I think, you guys. Uh, I said during the game, this game's not really even that bad if we don't give up a kick return and a fumble six. It's, four, it's 14-7, 14 nothing. So I think turnover battle is number one key this game. Sure. You can't lose that if you're going to win. That kick return, man. Oh. <laughs> number two key, protect the quarterback. Now you may snicker at that out there, but whoever it is, it's so important. you got to keep the quarterback upright. Utah is, top, is a top 20 in the nation in pressure rate and sacks. They can absolutely make this a long day for whoever's back there. So it's important the buffs protect Staub, Shador, whoever it is. Got to protect your quarterback. And then finally, number three, a fast start is very imperative. I do not see the buffs getting down 24-7 and storming back in the second half with a huge performance from Staub throwing 200 in the the second half. If the buffs are going to win this game, it's got to be 7-7 at the first quarter, 10-10.5. It's got to be you're right there all game got to get off to a fast start. So those are my three keys to the game. And I'll kind of build on that last one. To me, it's it's playing a full game. It's not just about starting hot. We've seen that from the bus a few right. games this year, right? Where they get this big lead, and then it dwindles, and it dwindles, and they can't finish the game. They can't close it out. And likewise, the other direction. So play a full game, start to finish, and you basically need to be perfect. Yeah. You are going to have to play a damn near perfect game in order to win this one on the road at one of the toughest stadiums to play at in the Pac-12. Got to give it everything. Play a full game. We have played a full season here on the Buffs Nation podcast. Here's the plan. What we're going to do, take next week off. We'll be, we'll be back in a two weeks to wrap up the year. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of news in those 14 days and kind of 
go through the offseason, what to expect at that point. So we'll be back then. But until we get out, get out of here for a couple of weeks, let's give our score predictions and uh, see how this game and this season are going to come to an end. I will go first. I've been opt- optimistic as of late. I think the Buffs have had chances against Washington State and their recent opponents, Arizona, but I don't see the matchup here. I think going on the road is going to be too much. You add in the quarterback concerns, and I think CU struggles. So I'm going to go Utah wins 36-17 in this matchup. I actually had it very, very close in the score to you in pretty much the same scenario. Uh, I am projecting in my pick here that I believe Staub is going to be the quarterback. I don't think we're going to see Shador this week. Uh, I I have it going uh, 41-17, Buffs loose. Brian, what do you got? Uh, I'll be the ray of sunshine here. Hey! hey! <laughs> All right! Uh, you know, I, this is mostly my fandom coming out. Um, I want to see them get this win. Um, so going against everything that is right in front of my face, I'm going Buffs 24, Utah 23. I love it. Ryan's All been right. on the season two. <laughs> hey, <laughs> now. I appreciate you listening. Let's go, Buffaloes. Let's end the season with a big win. And we'll talk to you in two weeks right here on the Buffs Nation podcast.